You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. At its heart, Yom Kippur is about forgiveness. About each of us having an opportunity to enter into the new year with a clean slate, absolved of our past transgressions. Forgiveness, however, requires confession. In order to be freed of the burdens of past guilt, each of us must first acknowledge what we are guilty of. In that spirit, I feel compelled to begin this Yom Kippur with a confession of my own. I don't believe in God. Okay. Now that I've successfully shocked and outraged a sizable percentage of you, I'm ready to follow up that confession with an important qualification. I do indeed believe in God. I just don't believe in the God that I'll bet most of you presume I believe in because I'm a rabbi. And I don't believe in the God that most of you think that you're supposed to believe in as Jews, even though, if we're to be honest with each other, I'll bet most of you don't actually believe in that God either. You know, of course, the God I'm talking about. Maybe some of you are picturing that God right now no doubt aided by the imagery evoked in the High Holy Day prayer book. That of God as Avinu Malkenu, our father, our king, an old masculine ruler who sits on his throne to judge all creatures with perfect judgment, patiently listening to our prayers to determine who among us is worthy of another year, choosing which of us to inscribe for life. This God knows everything, including that which is hidden and that which has not yet come to pass and is all-powerful. Let's call this God image classical theology, since it's been the most popular understanding of God since Aristotle. There are, of course, plenty of voices and texts in our tradition that support that classical view. And some of you may indeed, with purity and sincerity, believe in a God so understood. My intention is not in any way to belittle or refute your faith. If you find that classical conception of God meaningful or helpful, then I laud and celebrate your faith, especially if you take that faith seriously and live by its demands. Personally, though, I struggle with that understanding of God for any number of reasons. I certainly believe that there is more to reality than the observable and quantifiable. I identify that awesome mystery as God. But as a person persuaded by science, I'm skeptical of the supernatural. So while I acknowledge that we do not yet understand how every aspect of our universe works, I cannot believe that there are forces that operate outside the bounds of nature's laws. Even if God exists, God must obey the rules. I affirm that there is a power, 
maybe even consciousness, in the cosmos that far exceeds my own and is impossible for science to verify or reject. I call that immensely powerful and conscious organizing force God. Yet I cannot reconcile a power or a consciousness that is simultaneously omniscient, omnipotent, and perfectly good. If such a power existed, bad things would not happen to good people. I suspect that most of us who struggle with the notion of God or reject belief outright do so largely on similar grounds. For God to be God, God must be good and just. My theology, my belief in a just and loving God bound by natural law, may be unorthodox. But it helps me understand the universe and my place in it in a way that I find personally meaningful, intellectually compelling, and compatible with traditional Judaism. However, since we are being honest with each other today, I have to admit that my rejection of classical theology sometimes makes one particular religious act especially difficult for me. Prayer. After all, to whom or what exactly am I praying? What, if anything, can that entity or power actually do about the things for which I'm praying? And on top of all that, of what benefit is praying by reading from a book that is filled with hundreds of pages of words that are not mine and are written in a foreign language? What am I to do with the prayer book's God language, especially since it is so evocative of the God idea I reject? And why do I need to pray with the community? These problems are probably even more acute for those among us who are agnostic or atheist, and studies estimate that is between half and two-thirds of you. No wonder we have such trouble getting people to come to shul. We could improve the music, the sermons, and the prayer books all we want. We could spend millions constructing the ideal worship environment, but none of it will be of any use if the vast majority of us see prayer as irrelevant and obsolete. As Rabbi Harold Schulweiss of Blessed Memory once put it, the crisis of prayer is not aesthetic, it's theological. Our synagogues will remain empty unless we can demonstrate, especially to the skeptics among us, that prayer is real. In order to do that, we must first dispel the biggest myth about Jewish prayer. That its purpose is primarily to persuade God to intervene in our lives and in the world. Even if necessary by supernatural means. According to this myth, if we say the right words, pile on the right praises, or offer the most earnest entreaties, we can change God's mind. But this view doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for those who don't believe. It doesn't make sense for those who struggle with belief or who hold an unorthodox theology. And it doesn't even make sense for those of us who believe in the classical theology when you think about it. After all, 
Wouldn't an omniscient God already know what we want before we pray for it? How could our prayers change the mind of a perfect God? And why does God not award the righteous everything they pray for? No, the purpose of prayer cannot be about changing God's mind. Rather, Jewish tradition has always emphasized that the purpose of prayer is actually to change our hearts. The Talmud famously refers to prayer as avodah shebalev, literally the work that is inside the heart. In other words, prayer is heart work, an opportunity to refine and repair the inner brokenness with which we all struggle. Perhaps that's why the Hebrew word for prayer is tefillah. Tefillah comes from the Hebrew root, hey lamed lamed, which means judgment. So it more literally translates not as prayer, but rather as the process of judging oneself. Instead of being a confrontation with God, prayer is actually meant to be a confrontation with ourselves. An examination of our own hearts and our own souls. An opportunity for us to hold our lives up to the light of what we might become. It turns out, however, that left to our own devices, most of us are not very good at thorough introspection, or honest self-evaluation, or personal transformation. We strive to do the right and the good, but we're so often unclear about what the best next step ought to be, given our present circumstance. We judge ourselves either too favorably or not favorably enough, and avoid insights that might compel us to change our direction. We compare ourselves to others, to their actions, their accomplishments, or their possessions, rather than measure our lives by the yardstick of our own potential. Our rabbis knew this about us. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So they developed a powerful tool to aid us, called a siddur prayer book. The prayer book, as our ancient rabbis designed it, is framed as an encounter, largely as a confrontation between us and God, but also as a meeting between us and some of the central wisdom, traditions, and moral imperatives of the Jewish tradition. In so doing, the Siddur holds up to each of us an articulation of our highest ideals and confronts us with the powerful and haunting question, how does the is of your life, your choices, your deeds, your accomplishments, how does the is of your life measure up to the ought of your life? And in place of our own ego, or that Facebook acquaintance we always stack ourselves up against, the Siddur invites us to use God, the exemplar of love, justice, experience, and compassion as the yardstick to measure our lives. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel put it this way, prayer takes the mind out of the narrowness of self-interest and enables us to see the world in the mirror of the holy. Holding that mirror up to us and to our world, the Siddur asks, are you content with what you see? 
When you intone the Sidur's words that call God Rofe Cholea Mo Yisrael, healer of the sick, you are holding that mirror up to yourself. It asks, are you taking care of your body? And what have you done to aid the sick and the injured? When you say, that God opens God's hand and with love sustains all the living, that mirror asks, have you done enough to feed the hungry? When you say, Ga'al Yisrael, that God is the Redeemer of Israel, that mirror asks, what is holding you back from living your best life? What is keeping you from true happiness? What are the possibilities you haven't yet seen, the opportunities you haven't yet realized? You're holding that mirror when you recite the Shema, the Jewish declaration that God is one, that all reality comes from the same source and is interconnected. The mirror exposes the hypocrisy of uttering such a statement while simultaneously mistreating those of other races, religions, nationalities, abilities, and economic status, or while plundering and poisoning our planet. We're looking at ourselves in that mirror when we say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your power. Will it reflect a person who embraces God's highest characteristic of compassion? A person who loves both his neighbor and the stranger? Or will it show a person who vilifies, humiliates, exploits, intimidates the immigrant, the refugee, the disadvantaged, the brokenhearted? Will it reflect a person who hoards her wealth? Or will it reveal a person who gives generously, devoting her resources to acts of kindness, justice, and world repair. When you say, Oseh HaShalom, that God is the maker of peace, that mirror asks, where are you on the whole peace thing? Have you been working on peace inside yourself? How about within your household, your community? What have you done to fulfill the prophetic vision that nation will not lift up sword against nation. Traditional Jewish prayer in this sense is a teacher. It teaches us, in Heschel's words, what to aspire to. Redemption, purity of mind or tongue, or willingness to help may hover as ideas before our mind, but the idea becomes a concern, something to long for, a goal to be reached only when we pray. True. The prayers of the Siddur are written as statements that we make to God. But they are actually intended to be statements that we make about God to ourselves, forcing us to see ourselves in the mirror of the Holy. Which means that you don't need to believe in God in order for prayer to work. Though the rabbis who wrote the Siddur believed in the existence of the God they were describing, those of us who struggle with belief in God can just as easily see the God of the Siddur as a personification of our highest ideals. And whether you are a doubter or a believer, viewing yourself in the light of this God idea can push you to clarify your highest hopes, discover your true aspirations, Feel the pains you regularly ignore and recall the longings you so often forget. 
Traditional Jewish prayer accomplishes these tasks in another important way, too. In addition to inviting ourselves to see ourselves through God's eyes, the Siddur also forces an encounter between each of us and our Jewish ancestors, between each of us as individuals and the living community of which we are a part, and between each of us and our future descendants. We meet our ancestors in the open pages of the Siddur. In the words of my teacher, Reb Mimi Feigelson, the Siddur invites us to stand with a millennium of Jews who have been praying these words. When we stand with those long-lost relatives, we are challenged to consider whether we are worthy of the great gifts they gave us, whether we are upholding the legacy they left us, whether we are doing enough to cherish the treasure of Jewish tradition that so many of them were prepared to endure pogroms and torture and the gas chambers rather than abandon. When I pray with the Siddur, I worship alongside my Zaydi Zaydi, and I'm forced to wonder whether I am worthy of being his heir. And I worship with Moses, Hannah, Rabbi Akiva, Maimonides, and Debbie Friedman, the Baal Shem Tov, and I'm forced to consider how I can become a righteous, questing soul on their level. The Siddur also forces us to encounter the present Jewish community. It provides a common prayer language, meaning both the common liturgy and the shared Hebrew language, that is surprisingly universal among Jews, wherever they live, and whatever ideological flavor of Judaism they practice. This is true whether I pray with a real, living Jewish community, which is the tradition's ideal, or whether I pray privately, since by worshiping with the shared script, I'm expanding beyond the confines of my own limited life and becoming more than I am alone by binding myself in that moment with all the Jewish people. The confrontation demands that I ask myself, do you love the Jewish people? What are you doing about the resentment you have in your heart for other Jews, other Jewish communities, other forms of Jewish expression? And have you done enough to support the state of Israel and imperil Jews around the world? And when we open the Siddur, we meet our future descendants, the Jews of the future, who will ultimately run those, their fingers over those same pages and chant those same words. When we do, we are compelled to ask whether we are doing everything we can to ensure they lovingly embrace the Judaism we are bequeathing to them. Whether we have given them the resources necessary to make that Judaism a living part of their lives. And whether we have done enough to make sure the world they inherit is better than the one we were born into. Jewish prayer invites us to ask ourselves many powerful questions several times a day, every day. Indeed, though it's possible that an absence of faith keeps us from synagogue, I'm willing to bet that the real reason most of us stay away from Jewish prayer is that we intuit the discomfort and danger to our status quo inherent in those questions. Most of us 
would rather not look at our reflection in that mirror and see ourselves as we truly are. We fear we would wilt under those bright lights and fear the life changes our answers would demand. And in framing our prayer as an encounter with a God that is all-knowing, the Siddur provides an opportunity to confront those hard questions with someone who already knows our answers. And because that someone is described as above all being loving and compassionate, we can answer without shame. Because however we respond, we will not be judged or dis or disregarded, only shown we're willing to see it, the next best possible steps we can take forward. Whether we stand in the presence of that someone because we believe she is really there, or whether we temporarily imagine that someone to have an opportunity to be ourselves honestly, prayer enables us to fully encounter ourselves and live better lives as a result of that encounter. Prayer is heart work, and in that sense it is hard work. It takes study and dedication and practice to be able to do it well. That's why this year at Temple Beth El we are hosting a year of adult learning about prayer. We're calling this exciting educational program Mastering the Service of the Heart. All year long, We'll be holding classes and series and seminars aimed at making Jewish prayer more enriching, more relevant, and more real. Whether you are a believer or a skeptic, a prayer pro or rookie, I invite you to join us for any and all of these opportunities. Whatever the content of your belief, or lack thereof, as someone who wrestles with God as much as anyone, I nevertheless want you to know that prayer is real. It might not change God's mind, and it might not change your mind about God. But give it a chance, and it may very well change your heart.